but turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. This morning we're going to be continuing our walk through Matthew's gospel account, particularly the birth narrative on the second Sunday of Advent. Last week we saw Matthew summarize uh, the birth account um, specifically dealing with Joseph and his reaction to the news, to the angel, and then in carrying out that which he had been called to do. In doing that, we learned of different names for Jesus, uh, Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel, Christ, and the importance of those in how they tell us who he is and what he came to do. We ultimately came to the conclusion that God provided for us in Christ a Savior, one who would save us from our sins. Well, as we continue in this narrative today, we will learn a second thing that God has provided for us, and that is a king. In the birth of Jesus Christ, a king had come. And kings primarily fulfilled three roles in biblical times, and, and I would assume unto today. First, kings established kingdoms. Secondly, kings would rule over and on behalf of their subjects. And then finally, a king would conquer all of his enemies and those who were enemies to the kingdom. Each of these aspects are fulfilled for us in Christ as outlined in Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism 26. How does he fulfill the office of a king? Well, with those in mind of things that kings do, let's turn to our text this morning and see how Jesus in his birth fulfills or begins to fulfill each one of these. This morning we will be reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And I will read the first 12 verses. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, 
they departed to their own country by another way. Thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. May he place these truths upon all of our hearts and may he bless the hearing of it. Let us go to him now in prayer and ask for these very things. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before this beautiful passage, as we read of the kingship of Jesus and how it was fulfilled not by his own people, but by Gentiles, no less, we are reminded of how great your plan of salvation and of redemption truly is. We are reminded of how you call each one of us to repentance and to faith. And you call us to submit to King Jesus in all aspects of our lives. And by doing so, you promise us to be a part of a kingdom that shall have no end. Lord, we thank you for this time to study your word this morning. We ask that you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we might receive it, and that we might use it to change our lives and the lives of others. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus, for there's no other name in which we can pray. Amen. There is a joke that says something like this. If a marathoner runs a race but does not post about it on social media, then did they even run? Many of you have friends who are athletes or um, are weekend athletes, and you know that to be true, that they are quite proud of their accomplishments, and I think that we should be. In fact, that's why social media was created, to tell society what's going on in your life that's media-worthy. Now, that is another lesson in and of itself, is what we put on social media worthy of news. And we can talk about that later, because most of the time the answer is no. But this is something that should not surprise us. This is not something that comes out of nowhere. For in biblical times, if something happened, if something newsworthy happened, there was a public response to it. And in fact, you could often tell the level of importance of the event by the public response, especially when it came time for royalty to be born. In the time that a king was born, it was very common for people to come and want to see the new king, for people to want to bring gifts, for people to want to um, declare their loyalty to this new king and this new kingdom, and to show how they will follow and submit and learn from this new, hopefully, dynasty. Well, that's how it normally went. That's how things typically happened. But as we heard, just heard in our text this morning, Jesus gets anything but a royal welcome, a royal greeting. Jesus, in fact, almost goes completely unnoticed in his birth. Jerusalem, who more than anyone else should have been ready, remained silent. It was only when God put a star in the sky that the Magi then followed this star to worship the Savior. And so at least in this instance, we reject the view that the larger the crowd, the greater the importance. That being said, Matthew does give us three validations of the kingship of Jesus, despite 
his lack of royal welcome, we do get three distinct aspects that prove to us or demonstrate to us that Jesus is king. First, this declaration that Jesus is the king of the Jews by the Magi. We're going to see this in verses 1 through 3 and speak to its importance. Secondly, we will see that Jesus' birth was promised. That this was not a surprise, but that this had been anticipated for some time. We'll find that in verses 4 through 6. And then finally, we're going to come to the conclusion that it is God who brings people to himself. God honors the kingship and the birth of Jesus Christ. We'll find that in our final verses. Let's begin, though, by looking at this declaration. Behold, the king of the Jews. And Matthew starts out for us in chapter 2, just like he did in chapter 1, with a few significant historical notes. Jesus, born in Bethlehem of Judea. Again, fulfilling prophecy, Micah 5, as we've heard this morning, but I remind you again. You, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Matthew is interested in showing particularly the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who was spoken of and the one who was to come. And we find fulfillment in Micah's words right here. We're also told that this took place in the days of Herod the king. This is significant since it helps us date the time of birth of Jesus Christ. We know that this event right here took place around 4 BC, or AD, excuse me, um, just a little bit after his birth. And this is a real king who really did rule that we really can go and look historically at his edicts, at his um, what he did, what he didn't do, how other countries responded. And so this gives us a mile marker that we can point to and say, yes, we know that Herod was real. We know that he issued the slaughter of the newborns or children under two. And we can point to that and remind ourselves of the factual evidence of our text. And it's in this backdrop, in fulfillment of prophecy, in the reality of Herod, that the wise men, or magi as they're also called, come from the east, inquiring about the birth of the Savior. And one thing that is very important to note is that these magi would have been Gentiles, not Jews. And doesn't that play a significant part in the mission and ministry of Jesus? That he would be rejected by his own people and that salvation would go to the Gentiles as his global mission and ministry expanded. Well, when these wise men or magi came to the king, King Herod, they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now think about this for a moment. This is a pretty bold statement to the current king. Where is the one who will take your place? Where is the rightful ruler of your seat? Where is the one who will end your dynasty and create a new one? We want to meet that guy. We've seen his sign and we need to know where he is so we can recognize that publicly. We will later find out that Herod isn't 
necessarily a very nice person. And so they were really putting their lives at risk by asking this question before Herod. And you can understand why Herod on the opposite side would be absolutely terrified at this news. For if they were right, if there is a king, a rightful king of the Jews, he being um, given this seat not by lineage uh, but by decree, he was in trouble. His rule was in trouble. His authority was in trouble. And so we find that he is afraid. And he's also afraid not just because of what this could mean, but we, we see in our text he was afraid because he had no idea it was coming. This was a complete surprise to Herod. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. But it gets worse. It's not just Herod and all of Jerusalem with him. How, how could they have missed it? I will admit the, the hardest thing for me to understand in this text is how could they have missed it? How did they not know? There's not been any prophecy from the Lord in about 400 years at this point. The final message being given from Malachi. And if we turn to Malachi, Malachi writes primarily on two topics. One, condemnation against Israel for their rebellious nature. But two, there's a day coming, the day of the Lord, in which my appointed one, my Messiah, will restore all things and make all things new. The last words given to the people of Israel were beware condemnation for your lack of trusting in God's word and look for, anticipate, wait upon the day of the Lord. 400 years. That may sound like a great span of time, but in reality it was not. And they missed it. They completely missed it. It goes even further. Malachi prophesies one like Elijah will come and prepare the way. And John the Baptist. I mean, down to the explicit detail. In Bethlehem of Judea. This will come. And they miss it. This, I believe, is a strong warning for us today. On just how quickly people forget what God has done. The people should have been recounting the stories and holding fast to the promises year after year. And yet we learn when the day finally comes, they're surprised and alarmed. In fact, the text says fearful. May we as God's people be careful not to forget the truths given to us in God's word. But there were some who knew what was happening when pressed. The king summons the priests and the scribes, Israel's best and brightest. And he asks, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priest and the scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. But before we talk about what this information leads to, we need to appreciate the fact that they had an answer. That they knew. And where did they get that? Where did that answer come from? How were they able when all of Jerusalem and the king himself didn't know? Well, they went to God's word. And it was there. As it had been there. As it had been promised. As it had been told again and again and again in the life of the people of Israel. And let's think about where our, our story has taken us to this place. 
the Magi have approached King Herod with a demand to see the king of the Jews. What does that mean? There's a king of the Jews. Secondly, we need to understand this was a title that would have belonged to Herod. Herod would have been called a king of the Jews. And so to hear these words, there would have been a sharp reaction in him. But he's left without answer. There's a star that wasn't there before, that is there now, that is pointing people to the Christ. We see that in the Magi coming from the east, coming to the king and asking for more information. We can see that the Magi are right. That the king had been born. And this is an important note. Earthly powers will always be fearful at the coming of the true king. Because it puts their kingdom in danger. It puts their grip of authority on danger. It risks everything that they've worked hard to build. The true king comes and with him comes his kingdom. This is good news for us brothers and sisters, and a very important reminder for us today as we live in a world where we may feel that the kingdom is in disarray, that it is falling apart, that it's in danger of being overrun. The king has come, and with him has come his kingdom, and it will not be destroyed. It will last forever and ever. Amen. And this is not something that should have surprised anyone, for this has been promised. From the beginning, but particularly in our text. Let's look now at our second section to see just where this comes from. The priest and the scribes come back to Herod. Herod, we need to tell you that this is what we know. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This being Micah chapter 5. Micah, like most of the minor prophets, writes to the coming judgment and promising hope. In fact, you could summarize the minor prophets with this phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come. A day of judgment, a day of hope, a day of his kingdom being realized. <laughs> and it's a poetic condemnation that the scribes and the priests have to quote this to Herod. Oh, Herod, there's one who's coming from Bethlehem of Judah who will be the leader, the shepherd, the king of the people of God. And what will they later say of Jesus? You cannot be the Christ. Despite the prophecy that we've had to proclaim from our mouth before the king, despite the promises fulfilled again and again and again, despite what you've done, despite what you say, despite every evidence pointing to the positive, you cannot be who you say you are. Why? Well, yet again, they miss it. They completely, totally miss it. We must recognize... Even as we've gone through the first chapter and a half of Matthew, we've seen several prophecies fulfilled. And some that we haven't even had time to focus upon. The birth of this king was not meant to be a surprise. 
It was not supposed to call such a reaction in Herod and Jerusalem or the priests and scribes. It's been promised biblically all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, a seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's been promised in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. One will come from your line who will restore my people, who will sit on the throne, who will have a kingdom without end over and over and over and over again. And so we ask why? Again, we, we find ourselves at this point. Why? Why are the people so surprised by God's promises being fulfilled? And the reality is, is they've forgotten the promises of God. And yet again, I offer this warning to us. May that not be so of us. How easy is it to forget the promises of God? How easy is it to become so focused on our own lives and situations that we lose sight of what is important? When the time came to act upon those promises, Jerusalem was unaware. I think in response to this to the book of Revelation and the judgment passed down upon the churches, God speaks specifically to Ephesus. Even though you have worked with much patience, you have forgotten your first love. And he calls them to repent. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If a church like Ephesus can fall, if a church like Ephesus can forget its commitment to the Lord, so can, so can we. We are very prone to the same thing, for the very same heart dwells within us. We must take this very seriously, brothers and sisters. We must not treat lightly the word of God. Further, we must teach it to our children and all those that God brings into our path. Sometimes in the life of Israel, some of the hardest words for me to read is yet but one generation later they have forgotten the face of God. One generation. We're not talking 400 years, the gap between the Old and the New Testament. We're talking parent to child, or grandparent to grandchild. They've forgotten that which they were taught. I've been greatly convicted by this personally, and I'll, I'll make this statement, especially to you fathers in the room. Your greatest ministry in your lifetime very well may be how you shepherd your household. That very well may be on the day of judgment all God speaks to you about. He may ask you to give an account for those moments, for those few years he has placed those under your care and called you to shepherd them. And we better be ready to give a response because all it takes is one generation. We're one generation removed from the children forgetting the God of their fathers. May that not be said of us. If Christ was to return today, May we not, like Jerusalem, say, and they did not have an answer. They were terrified and afraid, for they did not know he was coming. But the good news is, God is the one who brings people to himself. And yet, Israel sinned again and again, and what did God do? He restored them again and again. They wandered, and he brought them back. They strayed, 
and he called them to repentance. Sometimes through captivity, sometimes through hardship, sometimes through unfaithful leaders. But he brought them back again and again, showing the people of God it's God who saves, not the people. So let's look at our last section, and here's this beautiful news. And it is important to note the failure of Jerusalem in our passage, but I do believe the focus on our text is actually the Magi, because they did see the coming of the king. It did not surprise them. Now, Magi were most likely astrologers, stargazers. That word can be translated magicians. Um, It's also worth noting um, different groups of the church debate on how many there were. We take the stance that there were three of them uh, from the three gifts, uh, but the Eastern Church actually says there were up to 12. And so while we're not exactly sure their profession, and we're not exactly sure of their number, we are sure of this. They saw a star in the sky that did not belong there. They were convinced that it would lead them to the king of the Jews, and so they followed it until its end. They sought someone who could tell them this news, who could give them this information. And then they went back to the star and followed it to their destination. Matthew tells us that Herod tried to get them to spy for him. He actually lets them go. Sure, go find the king and let me know about it. Herod says, go, search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, so I too may come and worship him. Herod has a far more sinister plot in mind that we will read about in latter weeks. But isn't it amazing? The Magi had a better navigational system than Herod's word. He's in Bethlehem. Okay, well, it'd be like saying he's in Lee Summit. Good luck. But right at that point, right when that's told, what happens? The star appears again. And what do they do? Get right back on track with the star. They follow it again. Who provided the star? Did Herod? No, God. God provided the star. God provided the roadmap. And where did God lead these men? To himself. And when they find this treasured possession, Jesus, when they find the house, the house of Mary, as we're told in the text, they worship him. They give away what we would say is costly gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But to them, it is worth it. To them, it is is of no cost. To them, it is of no consequence. Why? Because they have found what they called earlier the king of the Jews. And like those who meet with a king, they give these gifts. They declare their allegiance. They celebrate his birth and everything that he comes, that he came to do. And then God blesses them. God blesses them. After this instance, they have a dream. And God says, by the way, don't go back through Herod. Go this different way. And they go their separate way. Their lives are spared by their obedience and submission to God. What an incredible story. What an incredible story of God leading people to himself. The stargazers find a star that directs them to the person They want to meet. This fulfills several prophecies as well as the gifts that they give. We could look at Psalm uh, 72, 10 and following. We could look at Isaiah 60, 1 through 6. 
We could even look at Song of Solomon 3.6 to speak to the royalty tied to myrrh and the giving of it as a gift. Each of these again and again are going to remind us that this was God's plan from the beginning. That this is no surprise, that this is no accident, that it is fulfilled. Those who should have fulfilled it didn't, and so God rose those who did. And how should we respond to such a narrative? What is the practical application for us today? We should rejoice. We should respond with thanks. We should be grateful that God provides for his own promises. God fulfills his word. It means he can be trusted. It means he is truthful. And he often uses the least likely means to do so. The fact that Gentiles honor King Jesus really speaks to God's willingness to bring salvation to all of his people. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in these biblical moments. I find rest in the fact that God does not always use perfect people perfectly. In fact, apart from Jesus Christ, there's no one perfect in the Bible. All of the heroes, all of the ones we look up to, that hall of faith in, in Hebrews, major character flaws, each one of them. But lastly, one thing that we should accept and we should take away from this, this validates the kingship of Jesus. This validates he is who he says he is. He is who he's been promised to be. And what do you do when you come in the presence of a king? You yield to him. You yield to him your very life, your gifts, your treasures, your all, every aspect of you, you lay down at the feet of Jesus. For he is worthy of nothing less. We worship him today. We accept that we're part of his kingdom and we accept his defense of our lives. And so, as we consider how God provided for us a king, I want to ask you, truthfully, honestly, do you submit to King Jesus? Do you give him your life? Do you place your trust in his leadership and his promises? Time and time again, we are shown that he can be trusted and his promises will be fulfilled completely, even at the second coming. I pray for all of us that we would rejoice in this holiday season. That not only a king has been born, but he's coming back soon. He's coming very soon. And when he comes, he will fulfill his promise to usher in a kingdom. He will fulfill his promise into drawing every one of his people to himself. He will fulfill his promise in conquering all of his and our enemies, casting them into the lake of fire upon the day of judgment. And so I plead with you this morning in closing, trust in Jesus Christ by faith. Enjoy the blessings of his kingdom. Submit to him. For he is the king above all kings, with a name above all names. And to him and him alone we owe our allegiance. And all of that began, well it all began before the beginning of time. But for us in human history it all began, it, took, it kicked off with a birth. And a manger and a visit from three wise men. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father. If it was up to us, we would ruin it all. We are capable of failing you. 
We are capable of going back on our word. We are capable of forgetting your promises. We are capable of neglecting the teaching of your word to our children and grandchildren and those you have placed under us. We trust and cling and hope in you that you will be gracious even through our failures. That you will be faithful even as we are faithless. And that you would forgive us, O Lord, and give us strength and hope. And that we would gather around one another as a Christian community, as the church, to fulfill this calling you have called us to. And Father, we delight in the birth of Christ and what it means. God has provided a Savior. God has provided a King. May we celebrate each and every day, but especially at this time of year, for the King has come. Praise be to God. We ask all of this in Christ Jesus' name.